0: Well, good morning. Once again, I hope this uh, reflection and uh, the Word of God finds you well, wherever you are. We are familiar with the words of Paul in 2 Timothy, when he reminds us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. However, like a good toolbox, we can go to certain portions of Scripture for certain tasks or occasions, certain books and passages speak more directly to specific occasions and experiences in life. One such book that I believe fits our current experience in quarantine and in these uncertain times uh, very well, uh, one book that I believe uh, fits this period of, of exile that we're in, if you will, uh, is the book or the letter of First Peter. And so I want to turn to its opening verses this morning. That's just 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, or you can uh, click the link on this page and it'll direct you to uh, Bible Gateway. But again, 1 Peter 1, uh, just two verses, those opening verses 1 and 2. It says this Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Again, this letter and its themes fit our current situation very well. First, it's a letter from the Apostle to a group of Christians who were scattered far and wide. The locations mentioned in verse 1 are locations in Asia Minor or what is present day Turkey. It's a letter written some 30 years after the life and ministry of Christ Jesus. It's written well after the days of Pentecost, as we have uh, recorded for us in the early chapters of Acts, so that the Christian movement, or the church, is by then a well-established and growing community, growing movement, so that what first sprung out of Judaism and initially evangelized Jewish people had then blossomed and also reached Gentiles. This became true, as we know, through the ministry of one like the Apostle Paul. This became true as Jewish Christians dispersed from Jerusalem and took the gospel message with them. This became true as that message continued to make its way all around the known Mediterranean world and even beyond. So that by the time Peter writes, he is writing churches in mostly Gentile locations. But these were churches that would have featured people of all cultures and backgrounds and ethnicity, Jew and Gentile, sharing the common belief in Christ as Lord and Savior. And so here, as we can see, Peter writes to them, but they are a people that have been scattered, that are scattered, uh, that are uh, flung far and wide, again, throughout the known world as those locations mentioned right there in verse 1 indicate. And Peter writes to them, if you notice, with language and themes that were rooted in Old Testament backgrounds and experiences. If you notice, even that word he uses in verse 1, that word of exile, if we are a you know, a keen Bible reader, that, that word exile should uh, trigger our imaginations, it should hearken us back to the time of the Hebrew exile in Egypt. Or their later exile uh, in places like Babylon. Notice also that term dispersion. To the exiles of the dispersion. And then he gives those locations. This is you know, a Greek word, or you know, it's an English word from a Greek word, uh, that Greek-speaking Jews, who again are living abroad, would have used to describe the experience of having their people and their kinsmen reside in places far and wide, outside their original homeland. So again, what we have here then is Peter, the apostle, as a Jewish convert himself to Christianity, using Hebrew phrases and themes that are loaded with Old Testament backgrounds to now refer to the new covenant people of God, the new covenant people uh, known as the church. A place where men and women of all races and backgrounds are united. They are unified and built upon the common confession of Christ Jesus. They are unified and built upon Christ as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior for all mankind. For people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who again come to him in faith. And so though these people... Again, those who have faith in the Messiah, who have faith in Christ and embrace the gospel, though these are people, Christians, who are dispersed, they are still one. Though they are apart, they are still unified in faith. Though they look different and come from different backgrounds, they, we, is a better way to say it, right? We are those people. We are one in Christ. And again, that remains true for us today. Think about it. We as a local church, we at Lake Osborne, we are dispersed to our homes during this period of isolation. We are apart, but we are still one in spirit. We are still unified in our faith and in our confession of Christ. But we can take this even a step further. Whenever we are able to return to normal public worship and church activities, we as a local church, again, Lake Osborne, would then physically be together again. We would no longer be dispersed. We would be together physically uh, in our very presence again. But we as Christians generally are still always a dispersed people, for there are brothers and sisters confessing Christ all over the world who we will never meet, but with whom we are unified in faith and confession of the Lord Jesus and whom we are unified with in spirit. And of course, what we have in common with those brothers and sisters, what all followers of Christ have in common, collectively at every time and place, is again, this idea that we are dispersed Exiles, dispersed exiles, or some translations uh, even say aliens, dispersed aliens in a world and society that is not our true home. Now, when you hear that word alien, or if your uh, Bible translation chose to use that word again, alien instead of exile, don't think alien like you know, UFOs and ET. Don't get me wrong, there are times where as a Christian with our beliefs and commitment to Jesus, our countercultural morality and standards, we may feel like a UFO flying alien from Mars. <laughs> we may even get reactions sometimes as if we are that. But the true sense of that word, alien, is that literal civic sense, someone who is a non-citizen. And think about that. We have residency here in our earthly home. But our permanent citizenship is in heaven, is in the city which is to come. And so again, while we have been placed here by God in the earthly city, we are to seek its peace and prosperity. We are to seek its good. We are to, to be people of salt and light. We are uh, striving to be a city on a hill proclaiming the good news of Jesus, his salvation exchange, in exchange for our sin. We strive to be agents of the shalom or the peace that Jesus has made with God and offers now to man through faith. But we do this all the while realizing we still are foreigners, we are exiles, we are aliens in a strange land that is ultimately not our full and final home. We are exiles or aliens or foreigners in a land that is marred by sin and difficulty and imperfections and pandemics. And this realization then puts into perspective the trials and the tribulations that we will at times endure. This realization puts into perspective in the troubles of this earthly life. Again, pandemics persecution, struggles of all kinds that we must endure. But before you go and think all Peter is aiming to do then in these opening verses is to lower your expectations on life, before you conclude that he is just, you know, doom and gloom, notice how he takes all of this then even one step further and he adds to that description of you as an exile one more very important term it's that term elect elect our exile or our alien status is elect or chosen determined by god you've heard me say before that when looking at this passage we've looked at it at previous times together you've heard me say this combination of terms elect, exile, at first strikes us as oxymoronic. How can we be exiled, something that seems negative, but also elect, something that seems positive? You've heard me say how this reminds me of when the comedian Jim Gaffigan laughs about the oxymoronic nature of the term happy camper. Gaffigan says, you know, sleeping outside, getting a rash, going to the bathroom in the woods isn't exactly his idea of a good time, which is why he says happy and camper don't exactly go together. Gaffigan remarks that the only happy camper is the guy leaving the campsite and going back to his home. (laughs) But again, thinking of that same kind of idea here with Peter, how can this term be true? Elect exiles, how is that not contradictory? How is it not oxymoronic? Well, again, Peter answers that question for us in verse 2. Our exile, our alien status, our experience as a Christian whose true home is in heaven is an elect status because, if you notice there in verse 2, it was foreknown by God The Father. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This means it wasn't an accident. This means our status uh, isn't what it is today because God's plan failed. Rather, it's all very much a part of God's plan. And we see then that the Father foreknew and determined this, it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. This means he determined to parse out the Christian life the way he has, that it might be a means of sanctifying us or making us who have already been saved, already been called, making us now progressively holy, making us more conformed unto the image of Christ, our Savior and Lord. As we know, trial and tribulation have a way of doing that, and Peter is going to elaborate on this later. They have a way of doing that, uh, refining us, if you will, sanctifying us in ways that success and prosperity sometimes cannot. It is a way of reminding us that just as the cross preceded the crown for Jesus, so it is often for his followers as well. So our experience then, our journey, our testimony as a Christian, is square in the palm of of God's foreknown, sovereign, elect plan. And it has been designed for our sanctification in the Spirit. Ultimately, as the verse continues, that we might then be obedient, look there again in verse 2, obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled by his blood. Now this is a, a loaded phrase. It speaks of several things. It speaks first of how our lives do indeed mirror Jesus himself, who was also rejected, who was also persecuted, whose true home was also, is also in heaven. It speaks of us persevering then in our obedience to the Father, using Christ as our example, since he is our Lord. But most importantly, this phrase, also speaks to the reality of the Christian, the one who trusts God, who follows Christ, and who endures. They are the one who has been sprinkled or covered with the atoning blood of Christ, their Savior, with Christ, their rescue, their righteousness. You see, this is clearly an Old Testament reference, and it can include several kinds of ceremonial occasions, but the one that is most compelling, and perhaps even likely, given the way Peter orders these phrases, is the reference that you find in Leviticus 14, for someone who has been cured of leprosy, or also in that chapter, for how they would uh, cleanse houses that had featured some kind of impurity. If you go back and look in those texts, again, Leviticus 14, you can do it at another time. Part of the ceremonial cleansing, to declare them clean, again, both people and the, the buildings themselves, would include the spring clean or the application of blood as a sign and a seal. And so it is here on this much grander scale, the Christian, the exile, the one foreknown, elect, and sanctified by God, no matter what life throws at them or what they endure, the Christian has been cleansed and declared righteous by the blood of Christ. The Christian has been sprinkled and made whole in spite of all of our failures, in spite of all of our faltering Moments, In spite even of our two steps forward, one step back kind of faith and trust in God during difficult moments, all of that is covered by the blood of Christ. All that has been sprinkled upon us, anointed upon us. And this has happened in such a way that through Christ we have been made holy, declared holy and righteous. We have been set apart for his noble purposes. We have been anointed and called his own. And so it is then that this reality allows us to press on. It allows us to fix our eyes on him. It allows us to know the grace and peace of our God who was with us even in our sin and shame but chose to save us and who is with us now in our times of trial and tribulation because not only doesn't he ever let us go, but because his grasping of us was never predicated upon our goodness or our cleanliness, but was predicated on that of Christ's. And so it's been his perfect blood then applied to us and now declared righteous upon us so that only now, because of Christ, can we stand firmly in the salvation plan of God. But we can also stand firmly in this earthly life as well. Knowing, knowing that I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so as Peter goes on to say, there at the end of verse 2, this morning, this day, wherever you may be found, may grace and peace of all of these realities, the realities of the triune God, They're all mentioned here. Father, Son, Spirit, the three-in-one God, may the grace and peace of the triune God be multiplied to you. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you this day, wherever you are found. Amen.